And a small change is better than no change at every point, right? And if you think about that, like a small change, it matters in a part, like 1% of improvement, you know, every day, of course, the, the, the years, 365 days in a year, 1% improvement each and every day is something like 31% improvement, 31,000% improvement over the course of the year, right? And so mm-hmm. if you think about compounding things, like those little things compound tremendously. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build multiple streams of passive income through real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Jason Yerusi from Yerusi Holdings. And today we're digging into his routines and discipline that have helped him build a large multifamily portfolio with his wife, Peely. Today we're talking about how Jason runs ultra marathons 100 miles how he scaled up to running that distance how he runs multiple marathons a month when he's not running ultra marathons how he wakes up at 4 32 a.m consistently every day and how he built up those disciplines and strategies to live his life to the fullest and continue to grow and scale his multifamily portfolio how these things tie in to being able to scale his multifamily portfolio and so much more. Buying real estate, investing in real estate, doing deals actively is all about taking consistent actions one step after another. And today we're learning how Jason has implemented strategies to make sure he's focusing on the right things at the right time to continue moving forward. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Boat. I'm a real estate investor and I focus on commercial multifamily and self-storage properties. If you'd like to learn about investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and we'll look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating interview on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Jason Yerusi. Without any further ado, here we go. Jason, thank you so much for joining us today, for coming back on the show. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about what you do, your family, and then we'll uh, dive right into it. Sure. Yeah. Thanks again for having me on. Good to be back. So Jason Yerusi, a managing partner of Yerusi Holdings with my wife, Peely. We're a multifamily investment firm. We invest in underperforming properties, whether it's on the management or the property side, where they tie tie in together. We've acquired since 2017, a little over 1,900 units now, uh, mainly about 95% of existing properties, 5% of development properties. Based down in Murfreesboro, Tennessee now, uh, just South of Nashville, uh, as I said, it's my wife, myself. We have uh, four employees and our three young kiddos here, Luke, Lily, and Leo. Nice, awesome. Thanks so much for that. So you do some very, uh, very interesting things in the outside of real estate, but personal discipline space that I'd love to dig into first. First off, you know, talk about running a hundred miles. That's crazy. How often do you do it? Why do you do it? How do you do it? Let's let's dive into that. Sure. I haven't done one in about 14 months, but my goal is before I actually, I'll do one before the year's out here. So we're in August, 2022. I will do one on my board before the year's out. Um, so part of it is just finding something that, that one just keeps you 
keep something in front of you, right? There's always got to be a driver. Um, when I started running back in 2010, it's because, you know, living in New York City, but my friends aren't active doing any sports anymore. So I was like, I'll start running, right? Never a grand in my life. It was just something that I started to do. So I found New York City Marathon. I was like, okay, cool. I'll, I'll, I got into that. Um, and that was my first marathon, right? And so there was that track in the moment where I just figured out how to prepare for it and started running. And never really considered myself a runner. It's just what I do now, right? And so I just started getting up and running more and more. And coming up in about 2000, maybe 18, I learned about ultra marathons. I didn't even know these existed, but found ultra marathons um, and went out there and did a 50 miler. And that, that was my first exposure to a 50 miler at like 12,000 feet of elevation. And that was amazing. Really cool race, really good part of it. But it was one of those parts where like you, I learned quickly that the plan is not necessarily always the route to go. I had a plan that I would run all the uphills, come strong on the uphills and keep my feet dry. I never looked at the tracks beforehand. So really third mile in, it was too steep to run. The fourth mile in was the first of four rivers I had across. <laughs> so quickly by the fifth mile, I realized that new plan, no plan, right? Because lots of times we, we get out of the gate and we think we have the perfect plan and like Mike Tyson story until you get punched in the face, right? And most of life is like that. We spend so much time planning out this perfect scenario and then we get sidelined because the next thing we do puts us completely off track of that plan. So knew that I wanted to take the next step, uh, went out for my first 100 mile hour. And, you know, for marathons, 26.2 miles, you'll get out and do some training races and maybe do some 20 mile hours, you know, prior to the run, right? So when you come up to 100 miles, it's not like I'm going to get out there and run some 80 mile races a couple of days, a couple of weeks before the event, right? It's just not what you do. So I was like, well, my mind's just not going to know how to do this. So how am I going to put myself in the best position to be ready? And noting that, I said, well, okay, I'm going to run six miles every day. At that time, I'm in New Jersey, uh, you know, coming through winter right there. I was like, okay, well, I'll run every day. So I'd run every day. Okay. Nice out, great. Raining out, fine. Sleeping out. My knee hurt. My ear hurt. You know, didn't feel well. And just run every single morning. Same time, just get out there and run. And what that allowed me to do was condition myself to just be ready for the unknown. Because not every time is going to be perfect. You're not always going to feel good. You're not going to be always right. So when I got to the 100-mile race, I said, huh, I just if I were to think that today I'm going to run a 100-mile race, I would find a way to tell myself I couldn't do it, right? Because I never accomplished it before. And like most things in life, we always figure like, the fear factor, the, the reason why we shouldn't put ourselves in a position to be able to do it, right? So most people will sit on the sideline, not take action because they're always thinking about the, the, the here I want to go out there and, you know, be a billionaire. I want to go out there and have this car or have this manager or have this, uh, you know, amazing wife or husband, right? But because you're thinking of the result and not of the actions to take, you never take any steps towards your goal. So I said, okay, I don't know how to feel the 100 mile race, but I, let me just, I do know how to run five miles. So let me go run five miles to the first drink station and just kind of see where that gets me, right? So I ran five miles, get to the drink station. Okay, I'm here. Okay, can I just run another five miles to the next aid station? Okay, can I run another five miles, another 10 miles? Can I run another 12 miles? Can I now just get to the bridge? Can I run another 500 feet? And each time I would get there and say, and when you didn't feel like doing a mark, well, can I just run another 200 feet? Can I just run to the hill? And lo and behold, you do that enough and you're at 100 miles. And that was the event in a series of small events that I could accomplish and tackle that led me to 100 miles by taking action on achievable mile markers throughout the race. Wow. Okay. So building that discipline and focus on just the next task rather than the whole 
kit and caboodle, if you will, the whole Apple just taking little bites one at a time. How does that apply to real estate investing and building up your portfolio? Because we're doing one deal at a time, right? But how do you translate those skills to focus on the task at hand into real estate investing? You know, so multifamily space, which we're in here, it, there's a lot of moving parts, right? So you look at uh, buying a multifamily asset, you know, you have lead generation, due diligence, asset management, deal sponsor, underwriter, you know, capital raiser, investor relations, all these parts. Now, this can be you or it can be you and a number of team members here. However, you want to prepare yourself with those small parts to put yourself in the best position when you get that great opportunity that you can succeed in that opportunity. Um, you hear a lot, if you find a deal, the money will come. And sure, that could be possible, but typically you're not going to have enough time to do so to be able to find that money adequately. And you're going to be asking for someone else's money, right? You're going to be putting them on the hot seat because at this moment, I need your money because I have to be able to close this deal. So we put a lot of emphasis on controlling what we could control. We out of the gate, you know, probably when we were talking first, we were talking about Louisville, Kentucky. That was the first market I was in. You know, we searched out for markets that had the metrics that met what we were looking for within multifamily. At the time we were in New Jersey, it wasn't a conducive market for us to be able to want to invest there. So we found Louisville, Kentucky, and we got very dialed in what we were going to look for. So we wanted to find 75 to 150 units, VC assets built between 1970 and 2000 in the south of Louisville got very dialed in for what we wanted. And then we built a team around us that could help us meet the goals, right? We got very clear with the brokers, what we were looking for. We found property managers that can manage those properties. And then most important, we learned to do that process of underwrite those deals and then how to structure them so we could go talk to our investors prior to having a deal and tell them what we were going to find, right? Because here I am, you know, Peely and I coming from the bar world, restaurants, breweries, construction world, and now we want to raise money from you to buy an apartment building. That's a lot for someone to take on if I had just found this deal and say, hey, listen, here I am doing this. But when we went to them, we made a mock deal of what we were going to find, and we presented it to them just saying, this is the opportunity. This is why we love this space. This is why we think it can be a great opportunity for investors like yourself to allow them to understand it. So we put them in a position to be empowered to make a choice about an investment. So when the time came that we found that investment, we were able to go back to them and feel confident that we could raise capital. Because when we were doing the mock deal, we, we came upon it that, you know, we had gotten enough yeses, you know, soft yeses, right, that we had raised a million dollars, right? So, okay, we go find a deal, 94 unit, the first one we closed, we need to raise six or $700,000. Well, we did that in a day, the actual raise, because we had already done the pre-work to be ready for doing it in action, in, in person, when it was needed. Okay. So... In any capital raise, you know, we've all done those here. You're going to get people saying, giving soft commitments up front, but ultimately it's not going to be the right time. And they're going to say no for one reason or another. You're going to run into some kind of rejection. How did you push through that and deal with it? Especially, you know, early on in the first one, you're probably not as confident that you're going to be able to deliver and, and make it happen and close on the deal, right? Yeah. So doing this, like we're having conversations a couple of months up to leading to find our first deal, right? We started doing this at the end of 2016. We didn't have our first deal. We closed on until mid-2017. So we are priming our investors to know what was happening here. And part of it is you could, you could do two things. Some investors are just not going to be the right time, but that might be now, right? So we start doing this in 2016. It might not be right for them, but it might be right by the time we get to the deal. But even if it's not right for them, well, sure, no problem. Do you know anybody who this might be right for? 
right? Because now you're coming into a warm conversation going forward. But if you have enough of those people that are interested, you keep them in the know of what you're doing. Hey, listen, thanks so much for talking to me a couple of weeks ago. You know, we're out here. We just offered a property. We didn't get it. You know, we were in second place, but we're going to continue to go in that part. Just want to make sure, make sure you are aware of what we're doing. So when we did get to that 94 unit, it was family and friends, but, you know, predominantly we had already kind of siphoned out our guesses. So we had a lot of people that were ready at that time to invest because we had already crafted the group of investors at the time, you know, whatever, 13, 15 investors who were going to be ready at that moment when we did find that deal. Okay. Okay. Great. So chunking everything into little pieces, working through it, and then, you know, taking little progressive bites at the apple. But we all only have 24 hours in the day. You and I have the same number of hours as Elon Musk, for example. Yep. And you also wake up at 4.32 a.m., which to me seems a little crazier than the uh, ultra marathons. I don't know. But how do you do that? How did you implement that? How do you stay consistent with it? I can never manage to stay consistent when I try to wake up like super early consistently. I mean, let's dive into that and, and how you're sure. managing. So what, what time do you wake up in the morning? Oh, seven. Seven. So like, like if you were tomorrow, I'll be like, I'm going to work at, wake up at 4.32 a.m. It's a huge jump, right? Yeah. And so like, so then by the night, you'd be like, oh, my Lord, that's too much. And the next day, it's just hard to keep up, right? And usually those are the jumps. Like, oh, I, I'm going to start working out. And so then you go to the gym, and you work out for four hours, and you can't walk for two days, right? Yeah. And you don't yeah. go back, right? Those are usually the pinnacle moments where is that make or break because you, you put too much stress or too much load on the result, right? But if you said tomorrow, I was like, can you get up at 6.55? You'd be like, yeah, I can do that. Right. And if you keep continuing to do that as you flow, you find your time, your evolution. What I found is that our goal or advantage has been to finding ways that we can control our day so we can set the time accordingly to be with our family. Right. So if I was to get up and when they're getting up, well, I'm going to be torn because I haven't had time to set up my day yet. And then I need to spend time with them. It's not like they, uh, they're little kids, right? It's not like, like, Hey, go make your breakfast and drive your own self to school. Right. So, but I, I want to have the time allocated for them. So I get up before three, two, one, and I get out of bed, I get going, have a glass of water, have a coffee, meditate, go work out. Right. And so I'll go work out, get back, Peely's up. She can have a couple moments for herself and the kids are just getting up right now. I can spend time because I've taken time to prepare myself control and create my wins for the day that I can have time with the kiddos, get them off to their things and then move into my day. And what this has allowed me to do is that this creates non-negotiables and it creates wins in my day that are already done. So if I go through this day today and there's a bunch of things that don't go perfect, well, I've created wins already. So I'm not just running into a series of chaos and a series of uncontrollables throughout the day. So it's like, if you think about most in life, what they're trying to get out, they keep saying the rat race, but what they're doing is they're, they're just allowing the rat race to run them, right? So they wake up, right? Alarm hits, they hit it again, they go back and they snooze. Now they wake up, they're late, they stub their toe, they rush, they eat something poor for breakfast, they run out the door, they're barely trying to, you know, kiss their kids goodbye, they, you know, get in, get in the car, they get stuck in traffic behind, you know, some construction element here, they're late for work, they're running in there, there's a bunch of fires at work, they get to the end of the day, you know, have a beer and watch Netflix and like never again, right? <laughs> and then the next day it just happens again and it's 30 years, right? And that that's a lot because they there's just not that moment like enough's enough. I'm gonna change something today. And a small change is better than no change at every point. 
right? And if you think about that, like a small change, it matters in a part, like 1% of improvement, you know, every day, of course, the, the, the years, 365 days in a year, 1% improvement each and every day is something like 31% improvement, 31,000% improvement over the course of the year, right? And so mm-hmm. if you think about compounding things, like those little things compound tremendously. So when did you start waking up that early? Uh, it's been a couple of years now, you know, because you, you take our life you know, over a decade ago, Peely and I would work till 4.32 a.m., right? So so we used to work at the bars and restaurants and be up all night. I would be leaving work when the sun was coming up, right? So eventually you transition your life saying, okay, well, having little kids now, it's not, you, you have to put yourself in a position that's going to work for you in your life. So it's been a couple of years now, to be honest. I, I don't know the pinnacle moment I just started. I just said, you know, there's going to be a part where I have to have a driver, right? Because like 4.30, I could eat just out yeah, 4.35 or 4.30, like 4, 3, 2, 1, you just get up. Because when you get up, typically you're just not, you're not going back to bed, right? It's like, it's the moment you're in bed because you're in that prone position that you can find weakness in yourself that you'll say, ah, 10 minutes, 20 more minutes, nine minutes, you know, 19 minutes, whatever it is. But that 10 minutes or 19 minutes, it never, it never makes you feel better. It's not like, oh, I just slept 12 more minutes. Now, now I'm good. You know, like when you get up, it's the same as if you got 12 minutes before. You know, it's just, it is what it is. So just get up and go and you find that sets the stage, right? You don't want to discount the first thing you choose to do. You don't want to discount and have a step back on out of the gate. You want to get up and put yourself in the best position to really maximize where you're going. Okay. So when do you go to bed? Anywhere between 8.30 and 10. It just depends. We typically get the kids going for bed about you know 8 to 8.30. And they they have their own ideas on, on bedtime. So sometimes <laughs> that, that trends out there. But usually 9.30 is kind of like that sweet spot right there. Do you have a pretty strict like sleep hygiene routine? Leave the you know phone outside of the bedroom, anything like that? No, I use the phone as the alarm. So I put it on the sleep mode there. Um, but in terms of that, I'll put a glass of water next to the bed just so it's ready. Right. And then if I get into serious running patterns, like over a year ago, I ran like 18 marathons in a month. Like I'll put my stuff next to the bed just because it's just, it's just consistent. Right. And so I try and cut out stuff like, you know, I, I eat pretty routinely every day. You know, I just keep it simple. I honestly wear either, you know, a, gre- a blue t-shirt or a gray t-shirt and jeans or khakis and just repeat, right? And so I don't have to think. I can get back my time on things that just I, I don't need to spend time on, right? Nice, nice. Okay. I think, uh, yeah, Einstein did the same thing. So I noted in particular that when you especially first got started, you said, I think you focused on Louisville, Kentucky, and just looked for deals in there. Pretty, pretty uh, narrow focus on the types of properties you were looking for in a specific market. I think when people get started out wanting to invest in multifamily a little more actively, they think they go out in bigger pockets and ask a question, what are four or five markets I should be, quote, focusing on to invest yep. in right now? But you didn't do that. You picked one. So how did picking one work better than picking five markets to work in? Well, it helps you specify. So you ever, you ever, you brought a car before, right? And so mm-hmm. like you, you go, imagine you're just like, I'm going to buy a car today. You're like, Hey, can you help me buy a car? You just like start showing up places. People are like, what kind of car you are? Like, I don't know what's, what's kind of car to get. Right. And so they don't know what to help you. You don't know what you want. So you don't know what you're looking for. Right. So it, although there's more opportunity, because now you have the opportunity to see a 
thousand kinds of cars, you don't eventually know what you want. You don't know your price point. You don't know the color you want. You know the size you want. You don't know the seat you want. You don't know, you don't know what kind of engine. Like nothing, right? So it's yep, going to be harder true. for you to get to the destination. But and the same thing happens in the market. It was like, hey, Taylor, I I want to buy multifamily property. You would be like, okay, is that a four unit? Is that a five hundred unit? Is that new construction? Is that you know townhome development? Is that uh, built to rent? Is that condos? Is that you know you, you get the trip, right? Mm-hmm. So you can't help me. I can't help you because I I don't know what I want. So it's going to be harder for me to pinpoint it. So instead of having a thousand opportunities in front of me for which I can't decipher what's a good opportunity, maybe I get 20, but I can clearly tell which are going to be the right fits for me. It's like the reticular activator gets your signal in your mind, right? So in the same part, in the, in the car theory, if I was like, hey, I'm going to, I want to buy a blue Chevy Tahoe, right? Let's just say that's the car. Well, lo and behold, here I am just going about my day. And what happens? I'm seeing a million Chevy Tahoe's out in the street, blue Chevy Tahoe's <laughs> everywhere, right? Because now my mind's trained on it. Is there more on the road that day? No, there's not. But my mind has said that this is what I'm looking for. So I'm going to be on the hunt for it everywhere I see it, right? And that happens in life with a lot of things is that we think a plethora is always better. But in fact, it detracts us from what we're actually going out for. And you think about this in business too. It's like, you know, people want to be the jack of all trades, but how many massively successful business owners do you see that, that have been during, they started with 73 businesses and they all did well, right? They all start in one and really dial in from there and then leverage that to, to do other things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think Warren Buffett's a good example of that. He talks about only buying businesses that you'd be comfortable holding indefinitely and and never selling and really focusing, especially early on, he had a very limited portfolio and it's kind of grown and shrunk over time, but it's still relatively not all that diverse Berkshire Hathaway's holdings. So great. Awesome. I love it. Talking about how discipline helps in, uh, in multifamily. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Jason, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show, but you've been on the show before. You've answered those questions. I've got three new ones for you. Are you ready? I am. Great. First one, what is your favorite book, either for business or, you know, personal enjoyment reasons? Uh, I'll go with what I'm reading now is Meditation by Marcus Aurelius. And then I, w- I just read uh, Gary, Gary B's 12, what is it called? 12, 12 and a half, which, which is a good book. Great. I've picked up Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, but I think I was reading like a Shakespearean translation with other yeah, I, yeah, I really struggle. There's a number of different translations out there. It depends which, which one you get there. Do you get a good one, a legible one? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, when you read something, it's like you can think about many things in life, but but there's there's moments where if you read the same thing today as, and but you had read it five years prior, it hits you completely different today because of where you are at point in time. And a lot of those moments are, are what is it, like the Stoic philosophy. You find a lot of that happens, right? It's happened place, and if you could just take it how it is and not not choose to your own opinion on it, you find it's the best path forward. Wow. Nice. 
So at your favorite book, now we're going to move on to another an aspect of your business. What is an indispensable tool or asset in your real estate investing business? The best part for is leveraging others to help us all achieve the same goal. So it's not a tour aspect, but I Peely and I did too much ourselves in the beginning. And that sounds good. We go, you know, do all the do all the roles we talked about earlier and get the deal closed. And it's just us with the operators. Sure, that sounds fine, but we're not doing our highest and best use and we're not helping ourselves forward. If you wanted to do one deal every couple of years, okay, maybe you could do that. But if you're going to grow a business, you have to put people in their best position to help you power forward. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. People adding to the 24 hours in your day, getting things done, taking off of your plates, the old e-myth adage, working on your business, not in your business. So last question, where are you excited to go in 2023, either on vacation or to a conference or what have you? Sure. Well, I, actually, Peely has never been to Europe. We were going to go to wow. Europe uh, a couple of weeks ago and, and uh, kiddos' passports got rejected. I don't know <sighs> why. Was, I guess because you can't get kids to look straight. So finally <laughs> got those through. So we're going to go back to Portugal. We'll go there. That'd be one. We had our first in-person uh, multifamily live event uh, this year. It was a huge success. We'll have the, uh, the next one again next June. So multifamily live. I believe we're going to be in Nashville again. Awesome. Great. So right near you too. And and there aren't a whole lot of events and real estate events going on in Nashville. So it's good to see stuff happening, you know, in the Midwest, yep. not just in Dallas and Denver. That's right. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn how to go buy multifamily or run their first ultra marathon, where can they track you down? Yeah, Taylor, thank you again for having me back. Go to yarusiholdings.com, Y-A-R-U-S-I holdings.com. You can find everything about us, podcast, mastermind, all in the in-betweens there. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating interview on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.